Welcome to Interplay, Conversations in Music. This is Michael Shapiro, your host, with special guests, violinist Gil Shaham in Boston. Scott Wheeler, also in Boston. Michael Shapiro in Chappaqua, as always. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank so you. good to be with you. Great to see you. I've been so touched by the wonderful, burgeoning friendship, musical and personal between Gil Shaham and Scott Wheeler. Um, I first learned about your relationship, which is fabulously fruitful and wonderful, when I met Scott a few years back in a, a chamber series we did here in Chappaqua. And then we got to know each other very well through song and then talking about the singing Turk, which I will get to shortly. Yes. But <laughs> I'm very curious. You know, Gil, you have played everything with everyone in every place from the Berlin Philharmonic on down. You're even in the Boston Symphony virtual world right now where you are in the middle of a burgeoning, I'm using burgeoning a lot, snowstorm. That's right. I'm usually in New York, but uh, you're, you're catching me in a hotel room in Boston. I'm here to um, um, join the BSO for their uh, virtual series. And you were just in Philadelphia doing the same thing with Yannick, I think, right? Yes, that's correct. Actually, Yannick wasn't there this time. I was very lucky to be with David Robertson. Oh, very nice. Um, who is a wonderful conductor and also brother-in-law. So it was very special. That's right. Special experience. That's right. I heard him uh, conduct Gorgi last year in a different that's, era. It's so did I. Yes, I saw that production. I loved that. Absolutely. But, you know, composer Scott Wheeler, we sit alone. We write our pieces. You're not a violinist, but you certainly no. write like you know the violin. So tell me the story first of your second violin sonata, which follows by many years, I think, your first violin sonata. My first violin sonata is the earliest piece of chamber music that I acknowledge, that I say, this is not exactly a student piece. And it's from 1985. And it was written for Sharon Leventhal, who is a Boston-based violinist, still teaches at Boston Conservatory. And I was so scared of writing for the violin. It's a, such a, a wildly different thing to do. So that I took every note to her and checked everything out. And she was sort of my violin whisperer. And she actually then commissioned my, my first violin concerto and the singing Turk. And so I've worked with her a lot on this. And that's where I get my sense of, of that instrument, how the left hand works, how the right hand works, everything about it. I was really thinking about hard that way. And guess who the pianist was when, for the first sonata in 1985, a guy named Tony Tomasini. You write for the Times, right? <laughs> played, he played the premiere. So I rehearsed with Tony and Sharon, right. and we, we put it on a few times. They did a great job on it. And more Recently, you wrote The Singing Turk, which Gil has taken up. Now, Gil, this composer gets in touch with you, right? And he says, I've got this piece. <laughs> so how did you two meet? And then why did, you, why did you have that chemical reaction? Because you had to have been, as we used to say in the jazz world, sent in order to play this piece. Don't you think? Well, as I heard you guys uh, speaking, I guess I, I was a couple of thoughts. One is, Michael, you also write very fluently for the violin. And do you play violin? 
Um, no. No. But do you consult with violinists, or how how do you? Um... Well, surely I do, but I. You know what? The mo most thing I I don't play tuba either, but yeah. <laughs> I listen to everything all the time and have for in my entire life. Right. Um, my first violinist was my uncle Charlie, who studied violin. He was a dentist, but he studied violin in the twenties when he was suffering from polio. So he'd come over to the house and bring a piano book, piano a violin book, and we'd sit and we'd read through all the concerti. So before I conducted the Mendelssohn concerto many years later, I'd already memorized it because I played the piano part. So that's how I started, hearing my Uncle Charlie. So Gil, um, what is in the writing of Scott Wheeler that is so immensely pleasurable? Yes, well, that's what we're talking about for the well, Scott always asks. He says, "Look, maybe the violin part might not be. Oh, it's awkward. It's always flawless. There's never any question, you know. And I, I don't think there's ever. There, there were a couple of places where, where Scott said, "Look, Gil, you should feel free to uh, uh, improvise or or swing in the in the rag or something." So, you know, maybe we made some changes that way, you know, or, or maybe I, I read some wrong accidentals or, so, or something, but the violin writing is always flawless. And he, he, he does ask, but I, I feel like he, he asks and knows the answer in advance. And then, now I don't, how did it happen with the singing Turk? Did we meet before? We talked about the piece in progress as I was working on it and I sent it to you. But that was, I, I did send it to you. You know, um, it was actually Edgar Vincent who introduced us, Gil. That's right. Edgar Vincent was Gil's PR person, and, but he was, he was really a kind of a guru to many of us. I, I went to Edgar for all kinds of advice and miss him very much. He must have died about 10 years ago. Um, something like that, very, very uh, old world impresario, man of music. Yeah, he had been back from from the 50s and Beverly Sills, uh, uh, you know, managing people like that uh, from long ago. And he took up Placido and he had you. I, I was at his memorial service and I met Barishnikov. He had worked for Barishnikov. Anyway, so I, by lucking out and hanging out with Edgar, I, I got in touch with you and I sent you a concerto and we got talking and we continued to correspond. And suddenly you're doing this sonata of mine all over the world, my friend. So then we, you skipped ahead when you talk about the rag, but then I did write the rag just for you. And you wrote right. it. That, that's true, that, that was sort of this year. But I don't know if Scott, if you know that, um, when we first got the music for Singing Turk, I, uh, I had a rehearsal with my good friend and wonderful pianist, Akira Iguchi. And uh, we played through it and we loved it. And we we're like, we have to start programming the piece, you know? And, and you, you were asking Michael before, Scott just has a sense for violin, for the sound of the violin, for the colors. Um, when I think of that of that sonata, it goes through so many different um, voices of the violin. You know, low register, um, 
high register, many notes, single notes, you know, a whole range of violin expression. And, uh, and Scott just has a feel for the violin that, that I love that, you know, lets us sing. It's, it's not a very precise, uh, you know, my English isn't describing this very precisely. Okay, in Ivrit, in Ivrit. Ivrit, he makes the violin sing. So let's talk, really, did you get that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, think I, got, I think I got what I needed about that. that I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm embarrassed and flattered. You got what you needed. I, I, you know, there, there is the aspect too of the singing that's in the title and that relates to the opera excerpts that are embedded in that sonata. And I think of the fact that Gill has an entire CD of opera paraphrases so that he is also an opera singer through the violin. And I think there's, a, there's some kind of connection going on there. Let's talk, if we might, about the inner workings of the singing Turk, Scott Wheeler's second violin and piano sonata, as played by Gil Shaham so brilliantly. There are elements of Scott Wheeler. There are elements of pastiche, of opera, all in this kind of mixed salad. So Gil, first, what's going on in this piece? And how were you attracted to it as a performer of opera pieces well i i think that that scott is much um better equipped at discussing the um breakdown of the piece but it, it, what's incredible for me is um the versatility of the writing you know the the first movement and please jump in if i'm saying the wrong thing is is loosely based on Handle is that is that fair? Of course. Is it right? The aria is is yeah. from, the aria is for, is from Handel. Although the opening, I don't know how would you describe it. It's um, it's a wildly abstracted bit of that aria, which only slowly assembles itself. That's an interesting way of putting it. That's what happens it, throughout the first half of the piece. We we find out, oh, this handle was actually going on there. That's what, what this was about. And then it departs and briefly returns at the end. That's the shape of the first piece, of the first movement. You know, I, as far as Michael's question, what's Wheeler and what's, say, handle? I used to be so concerned when I started writing, how could I write that, something that's my music? And I find more and more that the more I look at somebody else's music, like Handel, the more it becomes me. Mm -hmm. The more I'm open to allowing the Handel in, the more my own actual voice seems to emerge. I don't know what what's, that's about. I guess I'm just older and I don't care. I want to add to that, that a French philosopher once said, and I don't remember his last name, <laughs> that we forget things so that we can remember them. But in this case, it does come through. Now, Gil, it's very interesting because I've been listening to many of your recent videotapes that you've done throughout the world. You're very much drawn, I think, to the structure and sound of Baroque music, am I right? 
you know, the older I get, the more I am. It's true. Uh, you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't know that I've ever said it out loud the way you just did, but I think, I think that's probably true. I think the violin is a Baroque instrument, you know? Um, and, and I love that era and that feeling of experimentation, you know? This was the time when, when violins were not quite formed, you know? The, the tuning wasn't uniform, the size wasn't uniform, many things weren't uniform. And then they came up, upon this violin and, and everything was experimental, everything was new. And um, yeah, and, and so I, I feel as a violinist somehow particularly drawn drawn to that. Um, yeah, there, there's something about Baroque bowings that are are very comfortable, you know. Late, later, even even in the classical era, or, or certainly by the time you get to the nineteenth century, composers write very long notes for instruments, and and I do love that, you know. It does that gives us a chance to sing in a, in a certain way. Yeah. Way, but it's not quite as natural as those short Baroque um, Baroque things on the on the violin. I, I don't. Yeah, I, it's very hard to um, to say, but but it's true. I am always always drawn, and and the, the Baroque composers experimented with violin duets and violin trios and violin as accompaniments and violins as uh, as solo instruments. And uh, yeah, what was the I, I do love that the progress from the viola yeah, to gamba suddenly the violins coming in, yeah. the cellos coming in, the other instruments are following. I spoke to a cellist recently, and she said that Bach wrote, yeah, he wrote cello pieces, not ne not necessarily for the gamba, you know. He said it was the new instrument in a way. Um, now, this I think of those tanzmeisters. You know, those tanzmeisters. They had their pochettes, the, the little violins in their pockets, and they would go and teach. Uh, you right. know, they would teach the dances, and, right. and the violin was the vehicle by which they would teach the dances, they would arrive and then they would take out their push their violin from their pocket and um, and play a gavotte or a, a bourree or whatever it would be. I think you, you know, see this I know I've heard you often play Bach as an encore, but you introduced me just recently to a Baroque composer, late Baroque, Leclerc. Yeah. What did what do you think, Scott? I well I find it is is it's very inspiring, those those Leclerc duets. And that's not a Baroque composer that I even knew. I don't know how, how much, I mean, of course, he's a well-known composer, just as a name to me, though, but I've been exploring them with great interest uh, with and with purpose, of course, because I'm writing a duet for, for Gil and his wife, Adele Anthony. And, and I'm using the Leclerc in some sense as an oral model. Although there is an incredible story about Jean-Marie Leclerc. I don't know if, I, I, I don't want to take too much time and, and I'm, I'm probably going to get this wrong. You know, I'm probably not going to say the correct story. Short version. But, but what I remember is that um, Jean-Marie Leclerc was a virtuoso violinist living in Paris and uh, he ended up marrying a lady of the aristocracy who was very much involved in um, musical engraving at the time, you know? And uh, Jean-Marie Leclerc was found murdered outside their estate 
Um, and uh, there, there, I think there was a police case that's oh, that was open where they couldn't, um, they, they never found out what the, who, who the murderer was or something, but it appeared to have been caused by a blunt trauma to the head, perhaps from an instrument used for musical engraving. Oh <laughs> and, and of course, Madame Leclerc was never charged or investigated as she was a member of the aristocracy. <laughs> but I would recommend that we pay our copyists, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I never knew this story, Gil. This is fabulous. This, this, we add this to uh, the story of Gisualdo, you know, stabbing his wife and her boyfriend on the in the bed, and also the story of the comp French composer on the bicycle who crashed. We won't have to go into all of this, but this is crazy stuff. What, what is this? Hayden, Hayden and the the Hayden's skull. Somebody just told me. It, what is this story? It was a Shakespeare skull. I can't keep him straight. One no. of them was stolen. I know that. I think his skull was stolen yeah, from his so. grave or something. Yeah. Crazy stuff. All right. We're going to get up to the macabre and go back to the singing Turk because the feature of our discussion today is played by Gil Shaham, our guest, and uh, written by Scott Wheeler, our guest. Scott, the second movement of the singing Turk. Talk about it just briefly. It's so oh, different, isn't it? The composer is Gibert. The composer whose source is, is embedded there is Gibert. And you know, he was he's not known as a composer. And in fact, what he gave us is something like a lead sheet. It really isn't the proper aria. But it was a, an opera about a, a woman in a Turkish harem uh, and a, a, a European woman, a French woman. And the star of the opera was Madame Favard. And Favar was the librettist, and his wife was the star, and she sang, and she accompanied herself on the harp, wow. famously. So that was what it was. So it's this famous harp aria for her, and we just have the melody. So I just took the melody, and I gave it my own chords. Beautiful. So da 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 da. That's what you're you're doing, Gil, is taking her aria, which says, "You may." be the, the man in charge here, but I, I own your heart. Mm -hmm. You cannot escape because I, I, you're in love with me. Uh, so that's the meaning of, of that aria. So the second, the slow movement is, is all about. It's lovely. Well, and it has the Baroque flavor, but it has the, the Wheeler touch. Now, uh, Gil, I'm very interested about the third movement, which is, takes off. So <laughs> talk about that, would you? Well, I think really we we cover so many styles and and so fluently. I think you know maybe I don't know if you would say the second movement has some sort of impressionist or um, some, something like that. The the third movement is Rossini and joyous, you know, and and very and they really work beautifully as a sonata that way, you know, and um, yeah, you know, this is more. Um, Virtuosic violin. I mean, you you do you do get to to sing, but I feel like um, maybe the violinist in in the in the Rossini orchestra playing playing their sixteenth notes, something like that. Well, it's also coloratura. You see, the singers. 
you got they do actually those arpeggios the singers do them and what happens is that you and the piano duet in a way that hasn't been true in the other movements so that it becomes uh, not just a, an aria but a duet in the last movement so that the the joyousness comes in part from the trade-offs what comes through, it comes through it's very effective and the the difference between the three movements is striking, but it all hangs together because it's in your voice as played by Gil Shaham. Now, and during, Akira, we really, he does and such Akira a wonderful Eguchi. job. You I'm know, sorry, say again? The, the pianist Akira Eguchi, he's ah, so wonderful. Thank a, you for mentioning. Long time friend and, and he really plays it so beautifully. He does, yeah. he does. Um, so we're living through this period of isolation, as it were, and with three people in three different places, although you're both in Boston for a while. You wrote a rag. You call it isolation rag. And you wrote it for Gil Shaham, our guest. So Scott Wheeler, talk about isolation rag. And then Gil, I'm very curious to hear how you reacted to it during this period. Well, I, I, just, I just woke up one day hearing this melody and saying, that's what this is. This is a little ragtime piece that's a little bit sad and it's in major, but it's a little bit haunted or, or uh, wistful. Uh, and you see, the last concert I went to, live concert, was in March and it was Gil and Akira in Los Alamos and their encore was the graceful ghost rag of William Bolcom. And I love, love the feeling that he gave. And although that's a minor key one, I thought of something a little bit like that to give to Gil as a solo. And then in the midst of it, what sort of emerges are little bits of the concertos that Gil plays all the time with orchestras that he can't you play. You hear that in there. So yeah, what, did you, what was your reaction when you got it? Well, Scott sent it in an email and very sort of uh, quiet, I'm assuming, you know, um, Hey, you know, have a look at this, you know, <laughs> something like that. And I was very honored and I, uh, I opened it up and I started playing it and I love it. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's very, it's subtle, you know, it's, it's, it really captures the feeling yeah. of our time perfectly. There, there's something about uh, about Scott's subconscious that uh, really honed in or so on something. O on the top of the page, I think you write the word cheerfully. Yeah, right? I thought it was very funny. In a piece that's totally bittersweet. But thank you, Scott, for but, combining different things all at once, because that's the way that's what we do. But that is what I was doing. I was in my room cheerfully reading through this. And underneath it, there is an undertone of, well, when can I see my friends? When can I, so. you know, join an orchestra? When will I play Brahms Violin Concerto, Mendelssohn Violin Concerto? And, um, and somehow that, the piece captures that, that blend perfectly. It does. I want to talk to, just to end our conversation, just very briefly, Scott's mentor in many ways was Virgil Thompson, who I only met briefly and had a wonderful conversation on the phone with him about Preciosia, his piece for a uh, vocal piece, which he told me the derivation of in only a way Virgil could. But in Virgil's, one of his books, he talks about 
a kind of circle in the middle, which who is the composer, and surrounded by the instrumentalists, surrounded by the orchestra, surrounded by the. I think he puts agents way up here. <laughs> or Salyuric is nowhere there, or Arthur Judson. You know, don't want to know from them. But the, the point of the matter is, he felt, as a composer, of course, that we 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 create the ripples that go out to people like you, Gil. So it's obvious that there's a ripple that has been sent from Scott Wheeler to you, which has been very meaningful. And I think it has enriched your life. Talk about, about that a little, please. And then I'd like to hear what Scott feels about going the opposite direction. Very quickly. Well, I do love that. And, and I, I feel like, I guess I always say that's, that is our job. We're, we're, like, we're like actors, you know, we, we're we, instrumentalists, that is. We, we are um, people who read something on the page and then we try to bring it to life for, for our audience. And I, and I do love this, and this um, image, this analogy of, of you know, the, the pebble drops and then, you know, the, the waves start resonating. And it really is I a circles. It's an, and he, I think there's even a drawing in the book about it. Scott, speak to this. Well, you go from, yeah. You're going from the opposite direction that Gil was. Well, I, yeah, but it is, it's, that's, that is the direct connection because you see, if I'm, when I'm writing for Gil, as I am now in this duet and as I am in a concerto, uh, the concerto is going to be called Birds of America. Uh, wait, I can't wait. The, um, the, the thing is, people always ask me as a composer, who are you writing for? Do you write for yourself or do you write for the audience? And I always say, I write for the performer because only the performer is going to reach the audience. If I don't reach the performer, then there's no way it's going to get through to the audience. Uh, it has to be through, through that. So I'm listening to Gil, but of course, Gil, I've been watching him. And if you've ever watched Gil Shaham perform, okay, the vivid changes of expression and the uh, the way that he coordinates and relates to his pianist or his orchestra or his conductor or other soloists it's amazing he's so present that there there's this electricity so i'm trying to tap into some of that well you certainly have and you know there's a joy coming from both of you which is obvious in this only half hour conversation that we can have today but i want to thank uh, my guests, Gil Shaham and Scott Wheeler, for joining me. Thank you. It's a Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. And I'm Michael Shapiro on Interplay, Conversations in Music. Thank you for joining us.